Uh, just at this point, I'd like to welcome everybody for joining us. My name is Kelly Phillips. I'm the Membership Development Manager here at TechNex, and TechNex is an association that's been around for 38 years. We're focused on being a support community for business within the tech industry, and right now I think a lot of uh, businesses are in need of a lot of different types of support. We typically provide face-to-face -face, uh, peer groups, lunch and learn sessions, so this is a different different for us, but I think we're adapting. And uh, in our face-to-face -face peer groups, it allows everybody the opportunity to share best practices and business insights. And they actually get to interact with other people who are experiencing challenges similar to, their, to theirs. So this is a different format, uh, but this is for us, gives everybody an opportunity to learn some new things. Uh, what we're going to be doing here is we have three people who are subject matter experts. And I'm gonna do a little introduction. First, we've got Peter McCabe. He is an account executive and technology practice leader at ProLink and ProLink provides tailor-made risk management and insurance solutions. We have Dominic Connick. He's the president at Webs Depot, a managed services provider here in Markham that have been around since 2002. And we also have Frank Bellotta, partner at SBLR. They're an accounting firm that provides you with customized services and accounting assistance to help meet your specific goals. And what we're going to do today is each, uh, each person is going to speak for about 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. And then we'll circle back at the end to answer any questions that anybody has. If you can think of questions, because I know sometimes myself, I forget them as I go along feel free to hit the chat button at the very bottom and you can type the question to myself and then we can bring them up at the end. And then what we can also do is we'll open the floor up and then you can unmute yourself in order to be able to talk. Everybody's hoping that their, uh, their internet does not cut out. I know we have some of those issues every once in a while as things are being drawn down on. So fingers crossed that things, things will go as planned. So at this point, I'm going to start with Peter and then open it up to you. So with no further ado, Peter awesome. McCabe. Thanks, Kelly. And thanks everyone for taking the time today to, to log on. I really appreciate it. I want to keep this uh, really short and sweet and, and obviously welcome dialogue and questions from anybody without um, getting too into the weeds here with, with the specifics of insurance. I know this isn't a um, a meditation or a sleep session. It's uh, supposed to be informative. So rather than, than knock everyone out, I'll try and keep it high level. We're, so at ProLink, our main focus is on serving firms, Canadian businesses in knowledge-based industries. And me and my team serve about uh, 6,500 companies that are all small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, a lot of them concentrated here in the GTA and, and nationally across Canada. And as you sort of had alluded to in the, little, in the preamble there, Kelly, a lot of them are dealing with you know, a variety of challenges, a whole a sort of a new normal here as we confront the crisis. And a big part of that is uh, we're seeing is, is figuring out how to manage cash flow. Um, and I know Frank will probably uh, speak from an accounting perspective a little bit later on, but um, we know that businesses who are sort of scratching and clawing to fight through the crisis at this stage um, are keeping people on staff and, are, and are, are sort of trying to ride things out despite the headwinds to get through to, you know, the, the days and, and months ahead where the quarantine is, is lifted and we're, we're sort of getting back to normal are, are really looking to preserve cash and are looking to 
uh, make sure that they've got the financial resilience at their business in order to, to look after themselves. Where we come in as a brokerage is, is in a way that um, we find that most brokers are not currently talking uh, to their existing clients. Usually from an insurance perspective, you get your renewal a couple weeks uh, before, your, before your policy expires in the mail. Uh, there's a small increase or a small decrease in premium. Usually uh, it's a small increase. You sort of your information had gone into the black box. You don't know why your, your price is what it is. And then uh, your broker follows up 30 days later asking you to make payments. What we're trying to do is take a proactive approach with our companies in terms of helping them create that resilience long-term. So there's a, a product that's available and we, we're um, writing a lot of it for our businesses, right? Our business clientele right now called trade credit insurance. It's something that's uh, traditionally distributed through banks, but it's certainly something to consider. And, and I won't get too into the weeds here. Um, and I, welc I welcome any questions or concerns any uh, people have afterwards in terms of learning more, but really what the, the goal of the of a trade credit insurance product is is to do is to protect the balance sheet of your business. So we know that accounts receivable comprise about 40% of a company's assets and any delay or default in your payments can really harm your cash flow. And especially these days, businesses, firms we're seeing are really looking to conserve cash. Obviously, um, there's a ripple effect there, right? That's going to affect your ability to fund overhead, pay salaries, secure additional financing, all that kind of stuff. Trade credit is a product that allows you to insure your accounts receivable, usually up to about 90% of the total, so that if one of your uh, clients defaults or is, uh, declares bankruptcy or is unable to pay, then you're able to be made whole for uh, those account, um, outstanding accounts receivable. The other benefit uh, that goes beyond a payment, uh, like a, a typical claim, is that the trade credit underwriting process allows you to get uh, detailed credit information about who your clients are. So as we do the underwriting with our businesses, even if they're not purchasing the policy, what a lot of them are realizing is saying, oh, okay, interesting. There's, a, there's an open file on uh, business XYZ. That's going to give us some more information about what we should be doing for payment terms for that business and how we should be adjusting to um, protect ourselves moving forward, whether we're financing that risk through insurance or not. So uh, trade credit, again, is something that we are really beating the drum on right now because we think it's, a, it's an incredibly valuable tool that businesses currently are not taking advantage of in Canada. Most companies that we talk to don't even know that this product exists. You're, you're going to get uh, lots of information from your broker, usually about your commercial office package, maybe about professional liability coverage, maybe about D&O coverage, but uh, not, nobody's really talking about uh, trade credit. And so that's something that we are really trying to beat the drum on uh, as a, a, a tool for resilience for businesses moving forward. The other uh, great benefit that we've seen from the product, and then I'll, I'll sort of wrap it up there, is that a lot of companies right now are looking to, to secure bridge financing, are going to the banks, are going to BDC, and are going to other third parties to try and secure some financing so that they can float their business through a difficult time. What we're finding is that the credit terms and, and the, um, the, the value of the loans that you're going to be able to get access to is going to be greater if you are demonstrating to the banks and to BDC that your uh, receivables are insured. Ergo, your financial risk of default or, or of corporate bankruptcy is reduced because you have a backstop for your clients potentially not paying their bills. So that's uh, really something that we're trying to encourage our clients to at least go through the underwriting process. Again, by underwriting it, you get information on the, the credit worthiness of, of your clients, 
um, in terms of a financial resilience tool. And then uh, you can actually backstop your accounts receivable risk with a policy itself. The very last coverage thing that I'll talk about, which we're seeing, um, we're getting a lot of client requests again from our, our 6,500 uh, Canadian uh, small and medium sized businesses that we serve is around directors and officers liability and specifically around employment practices. So a lot of companies are having to make really tough decisions right now about, about uh, letting people go or uh, encouraging people to, to collect CER, the CERB credit or to, uh, to do temporary layoffs. And of course, for business owners, that creates a tremendous amount of vulnerability on you from an employment practices perspective. So in the event that you mishandle that, um, those uh, hirings and firings or those, those furloughs that people are being put on, uh, the potential is that the personal assets of your business's directors and officers and owners can actually be called into question uh, by the courts in the event that you did not handle that, uh, those transactions appropriately. So I would just encourage, not trying to sort of sell anything today, but encourage you to have a frank conversation with your broker about what type of employment practices liability coverage you might have or you, you should look to add to your existing DNO policy. Uh, and that way you can, uh, again, ensure that um, you're protecting yourself in the event that when the dust settles on this crisis, that there are issues surrounding uh, the way that you managed your, your, your staff or, or potentially put them at risk or uh, had to let them go, you know, for uh, financial reasons, which maybe didn't, uh, maybe, maybe contravene some employment law here in Canada. So something to keep in mind, I'll keep it short and sweet today, but certainly welcome any other additional questions that uh, people have about either uh, the trade credit insurance piece or about, uh, reviewing their directors and officers liability solution in light of the crisis. Thanks so much. Thank you, Peter. So at, at this point, um, I'm going to turn it over to Dominic. I know, and I'm hearing a lot, uh, cybersecurity or cyber hacks right now have been up around 40%, whether it's both uh, in your personal bank account, which I know you should be checking because we're all doing online purchases, and then also businesses. So we'll pass it over to Dominic so that he can address, address some of that. Great. Thank you, uh, Kelly. Um, so... What I'll, what I'll do today is maybe just kind of cover some of the things that we're seeing among our uh, client base with sort of the, the workflow changes and, and, you know, folks working from home uh, when maybe that wasn't their normal setup and, 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 and cover off some of the maybe the more trendier topics that are making the news. Um, I know a very popular one right now, and, and I'll just start off with that one is just talk about what we're doing now with Zoom, is Zoom bombing. Right, and, and, and everyone's now using uh, video conferencing solutions and Zoom kind of took the lead and charge and is you know, very popular, has a cool name and all that stuff. So uh, it's ramped up in usage, but Zoom bombing effectively, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a sort of a, a disruption, someone uninvited entering a, a, a meeting and via the screen sharing feature, whatever it may be, showing some scary sort of uh, inappropriate material or that they themselves are, you know, inappropriate. And it, it's, it's avoidable. And I kind of laughed about it when I first read about it, but it's also the way Zoom was designed. It was, it's very user-friendly. That's why this uptake is as high as it is. Um, now people are starting to put things like passwords, a password is acquired to join a meeting, but because it's so popular made the news, what is happening is there's literally kids uh, going on forums like Reddit, 
gathering together and saying, hey, I have this meeting ID. It's happening this time. Can you help me get that password? And that password is six characters. So it doesn't take very hard to figure out. So these are almost like efforts in, in, in unison that kids are doing in a lot of cases or sometimes protesters, whatever it may be. Now, all I'm going to say is that, you know, if you're involved in any of these, uh, or you're especially someone like Kelly, who's a host, and she did it perfectly, there's a couple of things you can now turn on that Zoom has made available. Uh, one's the virtual lobby. The trick, though, with Zoom that, that we found anyways, and we've been training all of our clients on its usage, is that when you're setting up the meeting, you won't find a lot of the security features there. What you have to do is actually go to your account profile and settings, and set up how you want future meetings to be configured. So, you know, things like requesting that password, having the virtual lobby um, are, are just amazing things to do. I highly recommend disabling screen sharing for uh, your, your participants as well, unless, you know, they're, they're a presenter. So things of that nature go a long way to kind of make sure you're not uh, interrupted in some way. There's more advanced things too. Um, you know, very clear things, maybe share with your kids. If you have kids using Zoom for their school or whatever it may be, uh, you know, don't send out that link with that password. The password is actually in that link that Kelly sent us. That's the password in that link. If you look at the numbers there, you know, make sure they're not posting that on social media and things of that nature. Uh, so that's, that's what I'm going to say about Zoom bombing. I think people kind of now get it. They're doing it right, but it all comes down to training and don't be afraid to, you know, train your colleagues train the persons that that's the host that they know how to do this and all of that's avoidable. Um, the big thing that we're seeing in your right is, is sort of uh, the volume of uh, phishing emails and phishing emails. Probably everyone knows what that is. It's just a, a, a manner of tricking you to sort of share some personal information and then eventually with the goal of getting some financial uh, rewards. Um, so depending on which, you know, stat you listen to, some they're saying we're seeing a 4,000 increase in phishing emails and ransomware emails. Um, uh, but just to tell you across our client base, we've seen a 30 to 40% increase, uh, in that type of, uh, exploit. So, and all, all that's happening right now is it's old exploits, old cybersecurity risks, just being repackaged with. Uh, the new situation or, or around COVID-19. Um, so even things like malicious websites, there's roughly 13,000 new website domain names registered that have the word COVID-19 or COVID in it. And these are all malicious websites. So they're definitely targeting, uh, you know, workers at home, uh, businesses around this whole COVID thing. Um, Suggestions for from me, uh, and this this is something that we've always done for our clients. Um, is again just talk to your talk to your your colleagues or your employees, and don't let them in some sense be distracted or work differently than they would when they're in the office. So make sure they use their common sense when they get an email. And and I like to uh, use a word called rest um, when I'm dealing with any sort of email coming in. So. REST, R stands for request for, for personal information. That's the first sort of red flag. There's any request for personal information. E is for emotion. If they sort of elicit any emotion, like click now, or we'll cancel your benefits, or click now, we won't reattempt payment. Um, S is for spelling and grammar. Those are really good takeaways on that. If that's you know not correct in an email, that's a, a giveaway. And then T for think. Think before you click. So hover over that link that's on there. See where, what it's going to. 
So those are, if, they, if you can just maybe share something like that with, you know, your colleagues, then the, the amount of uh, ransomware, I guess, exploits will go down, but our technology solutions can only block so many of those emails. So our clients are still getting uh, certain emails passing through anti-spam and such, but we've educated them, and I highly recommend you do the same as well, to not be shy to call their IT department, uh, their, their IT provider, and go, hey, is this legitimate? I mean, it's just, it's a phone call. It's the old school thing. Pick up the phone call. Am I expecting this? The, the other one that we're seeing ramp up is, uh, I don't know if you've heard a term called whaling, but again, it's, it's, um, it's an, in an email impersonating a boss or a CEO that will then send an email to their finance person going, hey, transfer me these funds right away. Now, these, these have become uh, uh, much more prevalent right now in these times as well. Uh, and they're expecting, and this is why I say, if you're going to train anyone on, uh, being cyber safe and smart in how they work from home, it's your finance people because they're the ones that are the greatest target. Now there's a lot of change around how people are getting paid or sending payment. I'm sure they're getting requests from their vendor suppliers saying, Hey, we can't cut a physical check anymore. How can we pay you digitally? How can you pay you this way? So there's a lot of change happening. And, and they might be a little bit off their game, their dog's in the background, whatever it is, they might just click on that link thinking they're opening an invoice or they're, you know, going on to a client website to make a payment or whatever it may be, or supplier website. And that's not the case. So these are the folks that I would really concentrate on. If you're going to talk to anyone and, and go, hey, what are you doing? What equipment are you using? How are we communicating and paying? That's sort of the, the group of employees that I would focus on. And that's the one that we've seen targeted the most among our client base. And what they tend to receive a lot of times is that traditional email from the business owner saying, I need these funds right away. What's becoming more sophisticated, and this is part of social engineering, is that God help you if you're, you know, your CEO and a lot of them do have personal emails. They don't use the best password for personal emails. Their email is compromised and the hackers sit there and they watch. They watch how he writes stuff the language he used, who the friends are. And then when he sends that, finally, that, that, that hacker sends that communication pretending to be the boss, the wording is pretty bang on. And they'll even slip in a friend's name. So it really the context of it all is built very well. It's phenomenal social engineering that they're doing. And we had one of these uh, two weeks ago. The wording came in that way, but the way it was set up was that the hacker set up a, a domain name that looked very similar to the domain name that our clients had. Then the hacker sent a request to one of the clients of our customer saying, hey, you can now pay us in this fashion since because it's COVID and all that, we can only accept payment this way. Their client went to that website that looked very close to the website that our customer had and made that payment. So $30,000 in payment was made to a hacker who was by a person who thought was paying their uh, supplier or in that case, in marketing services. So these are the kind of things that we're seeing that are happening, but it's really very old sort of exploits, just repackage around the new nervousness and distractedness nature of, of, of folks. But if you can do anything right now, it's focus on your sort of core role model, uh, team members, uh, employees, whatever it may be, colleagues. And if you're one of those in the financial, talk to them, ask them how they're working. And if they're working at home, uh, a couple of just very best practice suggestions. Give them a work notebook, work computer, make sure they're not sharing it with their family, 
Uh, and if you can't accomplish that, there's, there's an expensive ways to do that, but that's a big issue these days. Um, communicate with all your staff that they don't need to put their work email in every tablet they own in the house. It's okay just to be on a smartphone and the one computer. Email is the biggest sort of entry point for any sort of cyber attack and security that we see because we share so much confidential data in our email um, that that is the one that I always say limit where your email exists. Um, I'm not going to get too technical because this isn't meant really for me. Uh, I know we're, we're tech connects and we're supposed to be very technical and all that, but I'm not going to get into, you know, things like Cisco and how you should truly be set up in your environment and all of that. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of clients and, and this is what high hackers are taking advantage of have to really quickly set up remote work. So maybe they didn't do the VPN, right? Maybe they opened up a lot of, a lot of things, uh, quickly just to get people going from home. That's something that they're exploiting as well right now. Um, so what I suggest, again, best practice, if possible, make sure people are, have a dedicated work system. If they're doing something like VPN, not remoting into a remote session of a, of a work computer, but they're actually using VPN, it's okay to ask them to turn off their computer at the end of the day, because a lot of people forget to even turn off VPN. So if their system's exploited, you know, overnight, then that hacker sits there and over that VPN connection can jump onto your network and encrypt everything. So even little basic things like, hey, turn off your work computer at the end of the day. I know as employers, we don't like telling people to stop working at four or five o'clock, but I mean, it is something that, that, that we find in this time makes sense. Turn off that VPN, train them on doing video conferencing correctly, and just again, have them understand that it's not embarrassing to say, hey, I had a weird pop-up, even if it's a home computer uh, at the home office, or hey, I've got this email, is this legitimate? One phone call may prevent you thousands and thousands of dollars uh, in, in some sort of fraudulent cybercrime activity. So really, that's all I wanted to kind of uh, raise today. I'm not going to get into, you know, making sure their home network's secure and what's their Wi-Fi password and do, you know, and all of that stuff. There's, there's a lot to talk about because I've probably already taken up too much time, but just common sense stuff, um, you know, complex passwords. If you're using something like Office 365, a lot of companies are, we've seen a massive increase in them being targeted with phishing attacks. Um, and if you are maybe taking advantage of something like Microsoft Teams, which is similar to Zoom and for chat and all of that, there's a free trial on for that. Um, take advantage of what they call two-factor authentication in that solution. So effectively, it's not just a password. It's also gonna send you a text before you can log in. Highly recommend you do that out of the gate for if you are using Office 365. Um, and, I, and I think, I think I, you know, I've rambled enough. I could talk about all day on this and it's very unstructured. I apologize, I don't have any slides because we're all kind of in a, in a more relaxed mode and this is what hackers take advantage of. But um, yeah, just definitely, you know, have a discussion with your team that uh, they shouldn't be embarrassed about something happening on their computer call. That one call uh, and thinking before clicking can can have a huge impact uh, on, on staying safe. So I hope that helps. Thanks, Dominic. I appreciate that. And we have a couple of questions that we'll address at the at the end of that. Right. At this point, I'm going to turn it over to Frank. I know there has been a lot of uh, government relief initiatives coming through, and some of them. There's answers, some of it's vague, and 
I know poor Frank is going to have even some vagueness because it changes. I think as he goes to bed at night, it changes in the next morning. So he's going to address some of them and hopefully we'll be able to answer some of your questions. So Frank. Yeah, thanks, Kelly. Yeah, you're absolutely right. For for us now, just uh, and at the intro there. So, I mean, for us, the biggest thing for us this time of year would have been preparing tax returns. But now we're we're trying to field tax returns and we're trying to figure out uh, how people uh, are eligible for some of these relief measures. And and the biggest challenge for us has been we don't have we don't have details. Some of the rules have been passed into legislation, but uh, we're quickly seeing that there's too much gray area. Um, some things have been announced and we yet to determine how they're going to flow. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard of, of most of what applies to us. And I, I presume everyone on this, uh, on this meeting today is in the small uh, owner managed type uh, environment. So I'm going to try and focus on that. But the biggest challenge is just trying to, to, to see what benefits uh, small businesses can avail of themselves. And uh, unfortunately, what we're starting to see too is, even given the amount of benefits that the this government has announced, there are still people that don't qualify into it. And the ones that we see that are most likely not to qualify are the the independent consultants who don't have uh, employees, so they're not going to qualify for the for the wage subsidies. Uh, are still working, and you know uh, the the CERB is not in their wheelhouse because they don't meet that criteria. And even then, it's a, it's a low amount. And some of them won't qualify for the, for the special loans. I mean, I'll, I'll touch on a couple of the key ones. The biggest one right now is the, um, the emergency wage subsidy, which covers up to 75% of your payroll. Uh, and it's got to be actual payroll paid during the 12-week period uh, that starts from March to about uh, mid-March to about mid-June. Now, apparently the application process, we've been told it should be up and running starting Monday. Um, and, and we don't know because looking at what happened with the CERB, they were inundated with applications when that opened up. They tried to tier it and do alphabetically by birthday and whatnot. And the rumor mill there is that it didn't matter what you put in, as long as you, you attested to that you qualified, you're, you're going to get it. So it's sort of give out the money and we'll get it later. The subsidy is a little bit more tricky. They, they put actual legislation that if you uh, are offside or you intentionally uh, apply for this when you know you didn't qualify there's some hefty penalties there so we're working with clients now in trying to determine whether they meet the threshold because they did change it uh, slightly where they said now and basically it's three uh, three periods of time roughly mid-march to, to april mid-april to may and then mid-may to june and you're basically looking at a corresponding period uh last year to show whether you have a a drop and they did a change i guess it was about a week ago now where they said for the first period, it's just a 15% revenue drop. So we still have unclarity to what is the revenue drop, right? And there's a number of things that you have to back out. To. What's the definition of revenue? Is it your normal revenue? And you got to back out things that were uh, one-time items. So there, there's a lot of work in getting to it. So the, the risk of being offside there, um, again, is, is challenging because you don't want to be paying any penalties. Uh, and this is one where we feel that uh, it's easy for the CRA to come back and audit. Now, they did simplify it in that if you qualify for period one, you automatically qualify for period two. Uh, so they're, they're trying to make it easier. Um, the other one too is if you don't qualify for the 75%, there's still the original one where you get a 10% subsidy, which that's already in play because that was a 10% subsidy, uh, wage subsidy to just Canadian controlled private companies and small business owners. And that was already being done now for the last 
since mid March, effective mid March, and that's getting done through your regular payroll. So if you're if you're using any kind of payroll software, it's already built into it. Um, the other big thing too is the the forty thousand dollar interest free loan. They they changed the rules around that now, where they've opened up the uh, the requirement where as long as you had payroll between between twenty thousand and a million five in twenty nineteen, you now qualify. But again, we still have people that are outside that scope. Um, for us, the ch really in in dealing with this in our clients, I think Peter mentioned this earlier, and it's and and I'm great you brought that up, Peter, because this is what we've been doing, and I think. Uh, Kelly, you saw our original webinar where we put on very early and then everything changed. Our biggest focus is cash flow, uh, and we've been working with our clients and trying to help them out on that. Uh, we're doing it for ourselves, so what we're doing for ourselves as a firm, we're doing for our clients as well. And we've just sort of done a, a weekly cash flow, projected it out over 16 weeks, and we're just trying to manage that. But what we're telling our clients is don't just rely on the relief measures, look at your cost cutting, uh, talk to to your landlord because it's a chain effect, right? Everybody is is uh, is feeling the impact and everyone needs to work together. So we're looking at things like that. Certainly on the insurance side, Peter brought some some good points and, and we're looking at stuff like that for our clients as well, but it's managing the cash flow and what we need because I think the misconception that some of our clients uh, have and that I've been seeing is it's, it's great to get these relief measures, but we have to recognize that these are subsidies, so they're, they are gonna be taxable. Um, some of these loan availabilities, yes, some of them are interest-free. Like right now, the 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 forty thousand is is pretty much uh, an interest-free loan as long as you pay it back by the end of, of uh, twenty twenty-two. Uh, and there's even some relief, but it, it's got to be used for certain things. It's got to be used for for current uh, working capital operating needs. But there's also some other um, loan uh, and special and loan relief that's being offered through the BDC where. It's great you can get into these, but you got to project out that once we come out of this, there's going to be a repayment. So how does that factor into your cash flow at that time? So we're trying to make our clients be aware of we can't be too short-sighted. We, we appreciate the fact. And, and again, us as a firm are doing the same thing. We have to recognize that we have an immediate need, uh, but we also have to project long-term because the idea is to keep these, these businesses viable. Um, I mean, those are the big ones. I mean, I know we've also been working, which a lot of people are, may or may not know, is, is the BDC has got some, uh, uh, some funding available to it now where it's offering um, um, interest-free interest -free loans for six months and you can get up to $2 million at, the, at, at nice rates right now and, and there's a streamlined process on it. So we're working with clients and all of that. Certainly the tax deadlines is another one that's, we're trying to take advantage because everything pretty much has been postponed and, and anything from a, an individual to corporations and trusts who had taxes owing after the roughly the 15th of March, we can now defer payment of tax until September. So we're, we're being cautious with that as well um, because it's gotta be paid by September 1st. Otherwise you're on the hook for all the interest and penalties that would apply. And that's what I think people are, uh, are sometimes uh, overlooking because it's quick to sell this stuff and the government comes out and it sounds great. It's the little nuances in the rules that we're trying to trying to make sure that our clients aware, are aware. So what we've done with most of our clients now, for us, it's been business as usual because um, for a firm our size, we're about 20, 28 people. We've had the ability to work from home now remotely for the last four years. And, and I think that's the way we set up our firm uh, back then. So we're trying to push our clients to get everything done by the end of April. And that reason being is because there are people that are going to have refunds entitled to them. So that's another means of cash flow. So 
And for those that owe, it, the idea is let's get that set up as a payment through your automatic payment through your bank so that on September 1st, that money gets paid and you don't miss it. Um, and the other thing too is that any installments, we've had our clients go in now and reschedule those installment payments to September 1st. So it's got to be an all-encompassing process. We're, we're working with all these rules. Uh, I don't want to get into the, the details of all of them. I mean, we can ask, address those through the questions because it gets over overwhelming. But it, it, it comes down to, I think, what Peter said uh, at the start. It's the cash flow, and that's what we're doing with our clients. What's the cash flow? Where's the need? What measures do you, uh, are you as a business can take advantage of? Um, I will tell you, like I said, with the CERB, basically what we're hearing is everyone gets it. Um, what we're also seeing now too is that the government had said that really it would suspend collection on, on old debt for the time being. We don't know how long that's going to be before they start coming back and start asking for uh, some payment arrangements and outstanding debts. They did say that things like uh, shred credits and child uh, childcare benefits would conti continue. Um, unfortunately, the experience that we're seeing now, certainly on for, for us in the, in the tech and the, in the scientific research area, a lot of that shred department is actually closed down. We, we've got clients now who had applications and refunds owing to them pre this whole crisis and they've yet to receive it, which is abnormal. So even though they're saying it's business as usual, um, you know, my personal opinion is I think the government itself has got some issues and uh, I'm not prepared for allowing their workers to work from home. So I think we're having issues there. I have several clients now that are relying on shred refunds where, um, I mean, I was just dealing with a client yesterday where they're owed about $60,000 and it's a payment that was due to them and approved pre at the start of March and they're still haven't received it, which is not normal yet. They've been approved uh, through all the Ontario to convert their business, to help uh, adapt to some of the, the needs that we need now in the uh, personal care. So uh, those are the things that we're looking at. Um, again, our, um, our goal is, is really to work with the clients. And I think that's what we've been stressing is it's cash flow, cash flow, uh, and look at where you can do with your own supply chain to, to, to mitigate or get some credits. Um, and I can give you live examples of what we've done on ours. I mean, we've got, we've gone back to our landlord. Um, we've suspended parking. There's no need for that. Um, you know, Dominic was saying about the work from home, we're already strategizing what it's going to look like when we come back because of social distancing. And we, we find now that for some of our employees, especially because we were out in the field a lot, we don't need as much office space. So all that stuff factors in it, it for accountants, for us, it's almost a new way of, of consulting with our, with our, with our clients. It's not just the relief message. It's not just the, the, the financial statements. It's, it's more overall uh, holistic planning. Um, and, and I would have to support what Peter said earlier too. We are seeing the ones that are going for financing now, even though there's been a, a, a you know, sort of a flood of new money available, because that was the big thing that was announced through the BDCs. The, the banks are more likely to lend now. Uh, there's a co-lending program where the BDC will back up to 80% of the loan and the banks will, will provide the other 20%. Well, you know, it's not the bank's money, so they're more open to it. But however, you still have to supply credible financial data that you can support repayment. And that's, I think, what our clients are not understanding. It, it's still going to be a chore and there's got to be work involved to get to that. So we're working with them on that end, um, having good financial statements and showing that it certainly gives you that, that, that ability. So, I mean, that's kind of where we're at. Um, I think if, you know, um, Kelly, you have our link to our, to our website where we posted everything. If you want to share that with the participants, um, please do so because it, it gives a lot of information. I mean, that's one of the things that we've done too is affirm our size. Uh, we're trying to 
carve out what's more important to the small business owner. I know that the, the big firms have stuff out there, but we've tried to gear it more to the, to the smaller consultants. So we set up our own, uh, our own little webpage with all these updates. Um, so certainly if, if Kelly, if you want to share that with the group, then there's more questions, but um, I'll keep it at that so that we can address questions from, from anyone. And if there's anything more specific on the rules uh, and the relief measures, I'm happy to address them at that time. Excellent. Thanks, Frank. And uh, on that note, what I will do at the very end is Peter actually has some slides that I will send out to everybody just with some details that uh, is, gives you a little bit more information. And I will also include Frank and Dominic's contact information. So if you have any questions of them, please reach out and we will send the SBLR link. So I, I have a couple of questions. First off, I'll start back with you, Frank. Uh, one of the questions here is on the business loan. Is there any way to qualify if you did not pay any payroll in 2019, but just kept revenue in the business? No, and that's where people are left out. So if you didn't have the payroll, you didn't have the payroll account, you're not going to get into that $40,000 uh, um, business, business loan. I mean, at that point, depending on what the needs are financially, you're going to have to look at some of the, the, other, the other options uh, and maybe going to someone like the BDC and going for a bigger loan. So the BDC has got, uh, I mentioned earlier, they have uh, the interest-free loan. And there's, if you need about 100000 or less, you can actually do it online. But the, the emergency account, unless you had payroll, you're, you're out of luck. So they've dropped it down to 20. We'll, we'll see. There's supposed to be more changes. Uh, coming, but we haven't heard yet. Okay, so sort of on that, the um, Canada Emergency Business Account uh, has a personal guarantee statement. Do you have any comment on that? Um, again, it's it's providing and making sure you have your financial uh, financial records in order to show that you can can support that. Uh, most of the bank, and it depends on which bank you're dealing with, because you got to go directly through your bank. Um, and I, I, I do believe that's correct. I do believe most of the banks are asking for personal guarantee. Some of the banks are treating it as a line of credit where it's, it's more of a revolving. You're, you have up to 40,000 available. So if you don't use it all, you're not on the hook for the, for the full amount. Some are giving you the full 40,000. So it depends on what your bank is, uh, which institution you're dealing with. Okay, perfect. Um, so one of the other questions, and you had talked about talking to your, um, where your parking issue here. Do you have any updates on support on commercial rent? So there was an announcement and it's good. Uh, there was an announcement. Uh, I believe it was last Monday and what they're proposing. It's what's called a, and pardon me as I look away because all these acronyms, I'm just <laughs> still fresh in my mind. So it's called the Canada emergency commercial rent assistance. Uh, so C E C R A. <laughs> That was announced, uh, I believe that was last, uh, last Monday, if I'm not mistaken, uh, details to follow. So they realize, the, the government realizes there's a need there, but they haven't come out with any details. We're watching that. Certainly as soon as something comes out, we're going we're gonna to address that. And I think that's probably why there's been a reluctance um, from uh, landlords uh, to 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 do anything here. And basically the way this program really is, is to provide relief to commercial landlords, which then are supposed to pass on that benefit through a, a, a rent reduction to its tenants. So I don't, I want to reserve comment at this time because I don't know how that's going to work and whether that'll work properly because you're giving the, 
from what we're reading now, the it's really the owner, the landlord, that's going to get the some kind of subsidy, if you will. And then I guess it's up to him or her to, to negotiate or to provide some kind of relief to me, the the, the tenant. So I'm I'm I'd like to see the details of that before I comment any further. I'm a little skeptical about that because I know I can tell you again from a personal example, we've already approached our landlord, um, which we've had a good relationship with. Uh, parking is our problem, so we've already addressed that and gotten our parking fees deferred, not refunded, just deferred to when we get back. And basically the, the comment made was that the building as a whole under the, under the Ontario Emergency Act hasn't been shut down. So the doors are still open for business. So there really isn't uh, a rent uh, concession or lease concession that they're offering at this time. Um, so take it for what it is, but um, yeah, they are looking at something for, uh, for commercial rent. Okay. Um, Peter, I'm going to unmute you or you might have to, there we go. You might have to unmute yourself. Uh, All right. On, on that, with uh, the rent situation, I know some people are struggling now with paying their insurance for mm -hmm. their place where a place of business, et cetera, and so forth. What is put in place for that? What are some of the suggestions you may have around, around the insurance aspect of that? Yeah, really good question, Kelly. And this is where I'll um, wave the flag for independent insurance brokers once again. Every insurance company, every private insurer in Canada is handling this a little bit differently. So the best advice I can give is to talk to your broker about uh, what concessions in terms of payment terms, premium deferrals, premium reductions are being offered by the insurance carrier that they've chosen to place you with and make, su make sure to hold them accountable in terms of advocating for you for the best or the most lenient possible solution around uh, again, things like premium payments, midterm adjustments in premium, that kind of stuff. Uh, many of the, a lot of different insurance companies are taking a different tack. So if you look at a company like Northbridge, for example, who's a, a large uh, property and casualty insurer here in Canada, they're being very, um, I would say, helpful to clients in terms of uh, helping them with midterm premium uh, adjustments. So for many businesses, the main basis of rating for your insurance is your annual revenue. Well, if you know your annual revenue is going to be significantly reduced, then uh, some insurers are taking um, a, a more big picture approach and saying, okay, for the time being, we can reduce premiums midterm. Others are being um, a little bit more, um, a little bit more uptight about that or a little bit more uh, severe in terms of the way that they're not issuing any changes but the best advice I can give is that there's no uniform answer uh, what you should do is you should you should uh, make sure you're partnered with a broker who you know can represent your best interests and then have a frank conversation with them about what concessions or adjustments can be made in order to uh, you know help your business ride this out most insurance companies are doing something around uh, premium deferrals or reductions or whatever the case may be it just is a matter of having that conversation with your broker Great, thank you. No problem. Uh, Dominic, this is, this is for you. So a lot of companies now that they're working from home are all getting new platforms in order to communicate a little bit better with one another in order to do all of their scheduling of things, kind of see what's going on. What do you think of using certain services? And one in particular I've been asked about is Hubstaff. So uh, Hubstaff, uh, I'm not directly familiar with, um, but I, I do know that my team has helped one of our clients uh, with it, but I can't personally comment on, on how good 
it is or isn't. But I mean, very, very good question in a sense that what we're seeing now that I guess people have been hunkered down for uh, a month and are realizing that this may go on for at least a month uh, in terms of majority of their staff working from home. And they've got a little bit of downtime, a lot of them. There's a lot of internal projects going on. So people are trying to figure out new efficiencies and new processes. So we're getting a lot of questions about platforms, be it for scheduling, collaboration. Um, but all, all I can say is, you know, first you start off dealing with the company themselves directly and, and, and get that, that demo. But go back to uh, the key sort of people in your own company that would be making those decisions. Just because you're not in the same office anymore, uh, don't try to figure something out on your own and um, push it out, I guess, company-wide, because pushing things out now is a challenge. Training's a challenge because everyone's not in the same office as well. So I, I like the fact people are finding these little internal projects now to improve uh, and, and adjust to the new workflow and the new normal, but also be careful on just changing stuff for change's sake because um, it can introduce a lot of new challenges from a security perspective. Um, so I can't comment on that one itself, but it, it is, you know, like right now there is a free trial for Microsoft Teams. Um, Microsoft's doing their best to get everyone onto Office 365, uh, uh, but they themselves are making a drastic change. Just yesterday, officially, they renamed the Microsoft Office 365, Microsoft 365, so the word Office got removed which again is just adding to the whole convoluted world of more phishing email attacks as they go, hey, now you have to start using this. Uh, so that wasn't a very smart play by Microsoft, in my opinion, and their marketing team that's just pushing forward with branding initiatives in the midst of all of this that we're going through. Um, but again, it's, it's something that, you know, whatever process you went through and making decisions on, on systems and internal processes, stick to that, uh, do your due diligence, Realize a lot of software vendors are seeing a, a massive interest in solutions for work from home and collaboration. They're trying to take advantage of it. I'm being bombarded daily with emails from vendors and suppliers I haven't heard from in years uh, saying, hey, we think this is a great fit for you now that your entire workforce is working from home. And my response is, well, they've been working from home for years, so no change for us. But just just be smart about how you do your your sort of due diligence around it. But I, I'm not going to say one vendor or another is better for those type of solutions. Okay, thank you. Uh, one of the things too is in um, in terms of some of the government grants, the Canada Summer Job Grants. Now this is going out pretty quickly, and I think it's a very cumbersome process. But apparently, the the process or the application applications were at the end of February that had to have been done and right now they're opening it back up for the deadline being this Friday. I know it's a big process in order to to apply for it. You have to reach out to your MPs but what they're finding right now too is that any essential services are going to be able to apply for those so there's something there if you're you're interested in looking into it uh, reaching out to your MPs and we also know that some of the um, some companies that are pre-revenue or startup scale-up companies, the application opened today and we actually posted it on our website. So I don't know if you have any information on, on maybe some of those, Frank, but it's the IRAP program yeah, and there's so, $250,000 available, right? Yeah. So that student program. So we actually applied for it ourselves because I mean, as an accounting firm, we're always trying to make sure that we have a continuous flow of new, new talent and we're trying to build on it. Um, yeah, that one is one that if you can take advantage of it, uh, it's great. It, it was always hard to get into that, we found. 
they've now expanded uh, the people that are eligible to it, and they've actually extended the period in which its uh, coverage is going to apply because it's not typically it was more so the summer jobs, but now it's it's going into next year as well because they realize that a lot of these jobs are probably not going to start until we reopen the um, uh, the economy. So yeah, you know, at this point, my suggestion is is if anything there that you think that you're going to be uh, eligible for, then yes, you've got to apply for it. So that one, like I said, we've taken advantage of it. We put in our own application in there. Uh, one other, there was a couple, one other thing that I wanted to share as well is there's also the work sharing program, which I don't know if many people are familiar with. It's actually, to be quite honest, it's something that we're contemplating ourselves at our firm. Um, this has been around for, for the longest time through uh, EI, where rather than lay off staff, you go into a work sharing agreement where uh, the whole group of employees will get a reduced work week and they share the hours. So rather than lay anyone off, you go from a five day work week to a four day work week, if I can generalize it that way. And they've now extended it to allow more flexibility as to who can get into this program and the uh, process for applying it has been streamlined. You had to apply with uh, 30 days in advance and there was a whole requirement to provide a detailed action plan on what it is that they're going to do to get the business back up to 100%. But uh, due to the COVID situation now, uh, the process is you need to only apply 10 days prior to the start of when you want to implement this program. And basically what you're looking at is if you're experiencing sort of a 10 to, it's like a 10 to 60% revenue drop uh, or business drop, then you would be eligible to get into this program. And the beauty of it is that whatever percentage you're decreasing by as long as your staff would have qualified for ei ei will make up uh the difference obviously it's capped at the 573 but it's better than you laying them off and and terminating them you get to retain staff we find that this is and we're dealing like i said we're contemplating it but we're also looking at it for some of our clients the ability is that it, it allows you to retain the talent that you have rather than lay it off lay them off completely and then when we ramp up again and things get back to normal, you're now having to go out and look for talent. So um, the way the program works is basically there's some flexibility. You would put your staff into groups. Uh, I mean, it works well on the per hour for, for businesses that have employees on a per hour basis, but it's now being opened up to the sort of the salaried employees. So what you're doing is you're, you're, you're putting your staff into groups. Uh, for example, in our scenario, we would look to maybe put our, our, are pure auditors in one group because maybe that's an area where we anticipate the slowest shortage, but yet we would keep our sort of our tax group on uh, another group so that it gives us a flexibility to bring in one group on full time while leaving the other group still at a, at a reduced work week. So if anybody's looking at that, that work sharing program is another alternative. Um, and certainly for people that don't qualify for the 75% uh, wage subsidy because they don't hit the 15% or the 30%. And, and this thing is now, it used to be sort of only like 30 weeks, 30 some odd weeks. The program now, you can extend it and apply for 76 weeks. So for us, looking at when we're projecting cash flow for businesses, this is a lot better program because the subsidy is only for the next, you know, roughly three months. What are you doing the last quarter of this year and going into next year? Because, you know, like I said earlier, a lot of businesses are going to feel the impact, not just in this three months, but somewhere down the road. So that program is something to look at, uh, given that you got you can use up to 76 weeks of it. A little bit of cumbersome in, in keeping up with it because you do have to report hours every two weeks and EI is going to want to make sure that everyone's sharing the, the workload equally. But that's something to consider. Okay. 
great, thank you. Uh, as we're approaching the top of the hour, I just wanted to reach out and make sure that all questions were answered. If anybody has any questions, please go ahead and unmute yourself or put your hand up so that we know and uh, feel free to ask some of them. I just, uh, I just have a comment uh, regarding the Canadian uh, emergency wage subsidy. If you go into the CRA uh, my website and click on, you'll see it talks about the Canadian emergency wage subsidy. Uh, it walks you through the process on how to apply. Uh, and I would certainly encourage if you're going to apply on Monday, uh, it's, it's a good thing to go through because it tells you the type of information that you need. Uh, there's a, an Excel spreadsheet that you have to fill in with numbers of employees with what their average uh, remuneration is from January through to March. Uh, questions around the, uh, you know, the eligible 10% temporary wage subsidy. So uh, these applications are always sometimes challenging. And I do encourage you if you do have a My Account uh, through the Sierra website to go in and kind of click on the uh, CEWS and just walk yourself through the process so you're prepared for Monday, okay? Ryan? Yeah, it was, uh, I don't wanna be Debbie Downer, but um, obviously future projections, the CDC uh, has been talking about second wave coming, obviously in the start of 2021. Um, I guess really a question for Frank is, you know, how can people prepare for the future? Because obviously this is not going away and the CDC is very adamant about the second wave is going to be um, pretty catastrophic as well if a lot of people don't change. So are we putting too much in the basket right now or is, is are we going to be able to save two or three, you know, pandemics and then maybe the next five years of just throwing it out there. But I know that there's, this is not over now and it's not going to be over for probably years um, to come. Um, yeah, it's hard for me to reject because I'm not an economist by background, but just looking at the, at the way things work, I mean, our, our biggest concern is this. I mean, if I can be very blunt of it, we, we've, uh, we or the government has dumped a lot of money, released a lot of money in trying to resolve a, what we think is a short-term problem. But I think you, made a, you made, just made a valid point. This thing is not going to go away. I mean, all the experts are saying, unless, you know, even if we continue maintaining social distancing and, and, uh, and adhering to that, the true solution to this is not until we get a vaccine and that's that's still a ways off so yeah there is a prediction of a pandemic so what happens you know, like you said come first quarter of next year where we may be into the same lockdown are we going to have the funds to pump in more money to support everyone because let's face it all these subsidies all these relief measures that are getting out there now the government's going to want to find a way to pay for it and our my prediction is at some point once we're a bit more stable you can bet that there's going to be some tax recovery through uh, through increased tax rates and whatnot. So um, for us, again, I, I, it's, it's like beating a dead horse. It's just managing cash flow, knowing that there's going to be a potential for another uh, situation where you're going to be locked down and, going to fit, and you're going to have an a situation where you're not going to have the revenue stream. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's preparing through cash flow and, you know, the, the old saying of, keep some money aside for a rainy day is, is, is holding true. Now it's, it's sort of the old thing. And uh, a lot of businesses that we uh, deal with oftentimes are, are, are highly leveraged because they're in growth mode and you have to start thinking a little bit more conservatively in my opinion, but it, it's hard to predict. Um, it, it definitely is just trying to 
catch the catch the wave and be prepared through through your cash flow management is really all I can say. Excellent. Well, uh, I'd like to thank Peter, Dominic, and Frank for all of your input and your insight today. Uh, if you check our calendar, May is actually going up right now. But a couple of things that have come on here is on May 20th, we're having a, a session with Ann Falomo at Schoolie Mitchell, and they they're an expense reduction um, consultants, and she's going to be talking about cost reduction strategies, and it's business survival versus status quo. So that one is on May, May the 20th. If you're interested in any of the sessions, please go ahead and sign up. We are encouraging people to be, we're going free through May for non-members as well. And then from there, we'll, we'll kind of head in as to what we're going to do in June. So everybody have a fantastic day. Uh, remember that today is Wednesday. I know we're all learning, losing track of days and we look forward to seeing you online again. Everybody have a great day. Stay warm. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you everybody. Thanks, Kelly. Bye-bye.